Hey everybody, just to let you know, tonight is a two-parter episode. If you're watching tonight, you're going to catch my reviews of Hatchet and Hatchet 2, the first two parts of the Victor Crowley story. But make sure you check out my next episode, which is going to have reviews of Hatchet 3 and Victor Crowley, the current last two entries of the Victor Crowley story. That's going to be in a completely separate episode. I didn't want to overwhelm y'all because that means that episode would likely be over an hour if I put all four of them in here. So enjoy my reviews of the first two Hatchet films tonight, and then make sure you tune in for our next episode when I'm reviewing the next two Hatchet uh, movies as well. This is T watches a scary movie. Another brand new episode of T watches a scary movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in, watching another brand new episode. Remember, full-length episodes go up every Wednesday night. Video version on the YouTube page at YouTube.com/c/TheronReynoldsScaryMovie. Again, that's YouTube.com/c/TheronReynoldsScaryMovie, and the audio-only version goes up half an hour earlier at 8 p.m. on all your favorite podcasting platforms including Podbean and Apple Music. Just search for T Watches a Scary Movie. And of course, if you want to follow me on my socials, got my Twitter, Instagram handles over there as well too. I do all my horror talking on Twitter. You get the nice photos on Instagram. And finally, our Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. Again, Facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. That's where I'm posting a lot of our conversations that we're having, our funny memes, when I want to bring up some conversations, and of course, direct links to the reviews as well. Now, y'all have seen it. Lately, I've been posting a lot of movie reviews separate from the show. So again, just to remind you of how the show is going to work moving forward, there are going to be separate video reviews that I released every week just to review by itself. So y'all know me, I usually review two movies every single week and I'm gonna release those reviews separately. On Wednesdays though, we will still have the full episode like you're watching now. That full episodes will include things like movie news, they might include interviews, they might include me talking games, might be talking toys, unboxings, but you're always gonna get a little bit extra in these full episodes compared to just watching the reviews. But either way, hit that subscribe button and make sure to like as well, folks. I have so much fun getting to uh, talk anything horror with all of you. That's always just so much joy getting to do that. So. What do we have in movie news to discuss? Well, I mentioned recently that the next Ghostbusters film was looking to come out in December of 2023. So we're a bit over a year away from that, but uh, we're kind of already wondering what the details are going to be of the next film because the press release very much focused it on being the next chapter in the uh, uh, the next chapter in the eight and the Spangler family story, and again, I don't mean to rip on it because I really did enjoy uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I really, really did enjoy Ghostbusters Afterlife. But the issue here that I have with that is that it kind of negates the idea 
that the old, other Ghostbusters had stories or importance in here? You know, what makes Egon so much more special than Ray or than uh, than Bankman or than Winston? You know, and I get it. Each of these characters, with the exception of Winston, really got a focus in those first two Ghostbusters movies. They got some of their stories explained out. But at the same time, not really. No, they didn't. So it's kind of weird, in my opinion, to focus on uh, the story of the Spanglers and keep on going with that. But hey, whatever. Afterlife worked out really well. So I got faith in our filmmaking team that everything's going to work out. But what was said is that following on a teaser at the end of Ghostbusters, talking about post credit scenes, is... There was a teaser of Winston going back to the iconic firehouse. Presumably it's been purchased by, or he, he you know, he owns it. Um, Ecto-1 is back in there as well, too. And it looks like we're set to pick things up from the original firehouse. Now, that's very much what has been said is that um, we're moving the story back to New York and that Winston and Zedmore Industries, which the company that he owns and has become a rich man through, are going to play a heavy part in this. Now... We don't know if that means that Winston's going to take on uh, this like mentor role. It would make the most sense, obviously. Um, and I I, I kind of look forward to that because it would be so easy to just pull Dan Aykroyd back. and be like, all right, Ray's the guy. Ray's going to teach you all of this. And there's nothing wrong with that. If we get that, that's fine. But I think putting some focus on Ernie Hudson's Winston Zedmore and finally giving him something a little bit more to do when that role was like cut so much in the original Ghostbusters movie I think that's the right way to go because I think there could very well be some story to mine in you know what Winston's been up to maybe what he was dealing with while the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 was going on as well too those are stories that I'm very interested in because we don't ever get a lot of exposure or new information on Winston so I'm all about that I'm all about seeing that story continue and seeing what's coming out from that for sure. Now, if that means that the kids are working for him, you know, as junior Ghostbusters, I don't know. We have no details on that yet, but there's a bit of a story forming in my head that I could see. And honestly, I do see that as being uh, the, the, the honest way to go is that, um, you know, Egon's family, Egon's daughter and her kids decide they're going to move back to New York, basically. And Winston has decided, you know, he's going to take care of him. And who knows? Who knows? Egon's daughter, could very, uh, played by Carrie Coon, could very much morph into the role of, uh, uh, morph into like Janine's kind of role. But I don't see that really happening. She she was very headstrong and obviously very much in charge in Afterlife. So I don't know if I could see that. But I could definitely see Finn Wolfhards and McKenna, uh, McKenna Grace's characters working for Winston as junior Ghostbusters. You know, going and busting some ghosts and just doing that for a movie. I'd be okay with that. So I'm very intrigued to see where this story could potentially go. Also in movie news, Final Destination 6. So... It's long been said for quite some time now that we are going to be getting a new entry in the Final Destination series. And uh, what the original creator, Jeffrey Reddick, has recently revealed to us is that there's going to be a bit of a change up. This is going to be different from the formula that's been established in the other Final Destination movies. Now, if you've seen all the other films, they're very simple, okay? We get a group of teens together who experience a mass casualty event whether it be a plane crash or a giant car accident 
or a incident with a roller coaster at a theme park and so on. There's some kind of big event that happens at the beginning of the film that kills a lot of people and one or possibly two people who have the ability of uh, predestination. They can see exactly what's going to happen and they're able to save themselves and a few other characters from what ends up going down. And the rest of the movie is death chasing these characters down to basically finish out what he did he or she or they or it or whatever didn't get a chance to do at the beginning of the film now that formula has worked five times over like it or hate it there's something engaging about those final destination films three being my favorite mary elizabeth winstead ryan merriman y'all are the fucking goats uh love that movie um but they've kept this going for five movies now and what was interesting is in the last film which i believe is the final destination or it's actually final destination five i think the fourth one might have been actually the final destination with this one being five i don't remember exactly but in the most recent film they wrapped it actually back around to the original film spoilers if you remember the original film Devin Sawa's character, Alex Browning, if I remember the name correctly, um, had a pre uh, had a vision of his flight to Paris with his senior class exploding in midair and everybody on the plane dying. Him and a number of other characters get taken off the plane and then we see the plane explodes and the rest of the movie follows Devin Sawa and his friends and his teacher as they're all hunted down by death. And that's the movie. Well... Uh, the previous film, Final Destination 5, decided to wrap it all back up by playing this big mystery of us not knowing what it might be said, who it might be connected to, who was involved with that, till we find out that our lead characters at the end of the film who are still alive are getting on the same plane that Devin Sawa and his friends were originally destined to be on and die. They're killed on the plane, and thus we complete the circle. The loop is closed. Everybody has been killed. And that's the thing about death in this series. Death is a very effective killer across Final Destination. None of these protagonists survive at all. They all die horrific deaths, and the film makes sure to point that out to us. So, saying we're going to change the formula, that's a very intriguing, intriguing look at it. Because I have to imagine we're still looking at the whole idea of accidents happening and, you know, people trying to thwart these accidents, but maybe we go back to the mindset that the first two final destination films gave us which the idea that death's kind of like a serial killer instead because remember there's that scene in the first film where uh alex's friend tad i think it is the guy that gets you know strangled in the shower and y'all y'all should know what i'm talking about i'm talking about the disappearing liquid that death kills you know devin saw his friend and then at the end it's like oh shit cops gonna find out that i was involved let me just go back up into the toilet i'm like why are you covering the tracks at that point there the cops are not like well johnson open and shut case death's at it again time to find that asshole like that wasn't gonna happen so it's just silly but at the same time i wonder if that's what we're going back to the idea that death is actually doing this it's not just it's not just happening and i get the idea of sentient beans and shit but the idea that death is actually a bean forcing this through i'd like to see that explored a little bit more in this one but we don't know we don't know we still have a ways before we get to find that out um but it's been over a decade since the last final destination film i think it's time we got another one and i'm excited that jeffrey reddick's excited so we will find out uh, hopefully sooner than later, a little bit about how this story is gonna fold, how it's gonna, uh, how it's gonna come together. And the last thing I want to discuss, I asked a number of you on Twitter recently to share with me any good experiences you had from being in the horror section of a video store as a kid. Because if you're like me, those are some significant memories. Thinking back to where you were younger, 
Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, just your local video store, and seeing all the cool-ass movie posters and uh, VHS covers and everything, and trying to decide, you know, what's happening in this movie. Because if you're like me, it took a long time to get your parents on board with uh, renting horror films. And I thought it was actually really cool that some of y'all like shared some of those thoughts with me about uh, about uh, you know those thought about those experiences you had. Uh, Jen PM had mentioned that uh, her dad could spend hours, easily spend hours in the video store uh, and all the local ones at that and she would just wander around looking at all the box covers just bored out of her mind but she was with her dad who always wanted to look around and she'd look at all the videos especially the horror ones and that's where she would just gravitate to and uh, the fact that she doesn't think there's anything else that brings her back to the 80s more than that and I agree because you know, video stores are a thing of the past. Even if you go to a Best Buy or a Walmart or someplace that's selling movies, it's not the same as walking through the horror section of a Blockbuster or a Hollywood video and just getting to enjoy that. Um, uh, somebody else, uh, let me see. DCX-95- question mark, question mark, mentioned that uh, when the Hex Girls movie was released when, uh, when they were little, uh, and then the Cyber Chase one, that they were always grabbing up the Scooby-Doo horror films. And yeah, I had memories like that, too, because I used to always rent, uh, was it Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf, where Shaggy was the werewolf? That was my absolute favorite Scooby-Doo movie. And I remember getting my parents to rent that from the video store when I was a kid all the time. It was so good. Um, Cast Me to Hell said that uh, every weekend uh, they would go with their family and they each get to choose a film to watch that weekend. And that Cast Me to Hell would always look at the horror movies and read the covers in the front. Uh, back to front and imagine the film which is very similar to me because i remember doing the same thing looking at the case of movies and just trying to imagine what's actually happening especially the friday the 13th films because if y'all have seen those vhs cases they're just iconic they're really iconic with the silhouette and a different weapon each subsequent film and they only had two or three photos in the back sometimes they were like pre-adept scene sometimes they're post-adept scenes sometimes they're just taken completely out of context but it was always super fucking cool to imagine okay what does Jason do in this film? What does this killer do in this movie? And every time I looked at them, I always kept hoping that there would be more story details on the back. And there never were. Because I never got to see any of those films when I was super young. I always saw bits and pieces. And I saw a movie here and there. But it wasn't really until I became like 11 or 12 that I really start to, uh, started to get to go back and catch a lot of these classics on VHS, DVD, whatever. Um... But I love it. I absolutely love it. Y'all y'all give me some great conversations uh, on Twitter talking about your experiences in the horror section of a video store as a kid. We're going to get more of those going. But for now, let's hit to some movie reviews. Folks, we are starting the Hatchet series tonight. That's right. Some of y'all have never seen these before. And I figured now's as good time as ever to watch them because most of these films are free to watch on Voodoo or on Plex right now. So let's get things started with Hatchet 1. And today we are talking Hatchet. Yes, that's right, Hatchet, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you've probably seen this film on a number of streaming platforms in the last decade here or so. Hatchet is a slasher flick brought to us from the uh, devious mind of Adam Green, who both wrote and directed this tale. Now, if you've never seen this film before, it's kind of interesting because... Um, 
You know, back before the Expendables existed, we didn't really use the term the Expendables of this. Like, you would say, like, the Expendables of action stars, which is what the Expendables were. You get Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson, Antonio Bandera, all these people from back in the 80s and the 90s who were just the biggest, biggest, biggest uh, action stars out there. And then you start expanding, like the Expendables of romantic comedy or the Expendables of horror. And there's been a number of projects out there that have really, they might have not called themselves like the Expendables of Horror, but they've definitely been alluded to that that's kind of the idea when you take all these horror legends and put them in a film together, basically. And most of the time, it doesn't turn out to be like the big budget, uh, big budget efforts that we might get like for an action film or anything like that, because it happens actually quite a lot in horror. Um, it's more common than not to see a lot of our favorite horror actors actually teaming up in a lot of films. A lot of them have worked together, but... Adam Green kind of did something, uh, something kind of groundbreaking, because this is only back in 2006, and he put together a film that starred Kane Hodder, who you might know from the Friday the 13th series most famously, as the most famous Jason in the film. He took over in, um, excuse me, in part seven, and then did seven, did eight, did Jason Goes to Hell, and then did Jason X. So Kane Hodder's been the most popular Jason for the longest time at this point. And so Adam Green gave him another starring vehicle because, and I have to assume, because I'm not gonna pull into the, pull the production notes or anything there, but a lot had been stalling on Friday the 13th between Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason, and then eventually the reboot, we're, we were really at a point to where we weren't getting that much new in the Friday the 13th series. And especially in the idea that Kane Hodder was going to get to do more. Because famously, he got to do Jason X. And then he was not brought back to do Freddy vs. Jason. Which, that's what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted Kane Hodder to be back in that role. But uh, the director, Ronnie Yu, didn't find that, uh, that Kane Hodder kind of fit what they wanted to do going up Freddy vs. Jason. So they didn't use him. They used King, King, King Kissinger, who was also in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. But I digress. Um, we got Hatchet. And Hatchet starred Kane Hodder as uh, Victor Crowley, who was this uh, this creepy, mutated, massive, like just monster of a man who was living down in the swamps of Louisiana. And unfortunately, who a few people on a haunted swamp tour, when they end up running afoul of Victor's lands, end up becoming his next victim. Now. Hatchet is such a fun tale because to me at least it seems very clear that Adam Green is trying to basically make a parody of slasher flicks. Like if you go and watch your Friday the 13th, you watch your Halloween, your Nightmare on Elm Streets, all of that stuff, like at least back in like the 80s or late 70s when all these films were coming out, some of them might attempt to take these uh, take their source material seriously. But more often than not, like the film was just like it was very tongue in cheek. It was very hum uh, a lot of these films were very humor uh, humorful. Like they they uh, they're meta, of course, which led to the rise of big films like Scream, Wes Craven's New Nightmare in the '90s. But it's interesting because Adam Green, like he puts together a a very by the by the books bare bones decent it's an entry-level story for the background of victor crowley that victor victor was a uh, cursed by his uh uh he was cursed by his father's uh f former wife basically and she cursed them to never have uh never have healthy healthy normal children or anything and so victor crowley's father thomas crowley played by kane honor 
Uh, they they ended up getting pregnant with Victor, and the birth of Victor killed his mother. And Thomas Crowley spent the rest of his years raising Victor because, uh, you know, Victor was obviously not very, uh, not normal looking, had deformities and everything. And so Thomas didn't feel, feel comfortable taking him around other children. So eventually we get to uh, modern day to where unfortunately Thomas ends up causing uh, not the death, so to speak, of Victor, but he ends up locking Victor inside of their home, which has been set afire by a bunch of kids who are pulling a bunch of pranks. Thomas never recovered, and he eventually died of a broken heart. And Victor, who basically has taken this curse upon himself, now targets and kills anybody that comes across his swamp as a measure of revenge for what happened to him and happened to his family. And unfortunately for our group of youngsters who run afoul of Victor Crowley and his haunted swamp, uh, this includes Ben, played by Joel Moore, who you might know from Avatar, as well as from Bones. It also features uh, Marcus, played by Dion Richmond, who I, of course, know from Not Another Teen Movie, or you might know from She's All That. And then you also have Mercedes McNabb uh, from Buffy and Angel. And then you have Mary Beth Dunstan, played by Tamara Feldman. Now, these characters all go into the swamp with the idea of just this haunted swamp tour, and they find out they're going to get a lot more than what they bargained for when they come across the swamp of one Victor Crowley. And what's so interesting about this movie is the fact that I think that Adam Green plays it plays it up even more the idea that he's making a old school slasher in the modern day area. You know, we have cell phones, we have GPS, um, we have better communications, we have better weapons, better ways to defend ourselves against a lot of these killers who uh, victims would go up against back again decades in the past. And we get to see a lot of that played up, how some of these things don't matter at all when it comes to a superhuman giant who's gonna murder everything and everyone in his path. And Victor Crowley is just as brutal as they come. Uh, to a point to where, you know, you'll wonder, like how could some of our other heavyweights actually stand up against Victor? Because some of our other villains have established rules to them about what could stop them, what hurts them. You know, what's your way of going about defeating these villains? And at least at first glance here, from what we learn in this first movie, Victor Crowley does not seem to have a lot of weaknesses. And I love the fact that eventually our, uh, our protagonists, our heroes, figure out that, look, we can't actually stop this guy. We're going to try it. We're going to try this here. But if it doesn't work, our only recourse is to get the fuck out. And I like that idea being brought back because I do feel there are too many movies, uh, too many horror films to where we get like this new big villain who could very much be a franchise starter. And immediately it's a question of, all right, we can stop this guy. We can stop this guy. And it's like, well, maybe you can't because maybe the fun is just running and getting the fuck away as opposed to trying to stop him. Because if you look at the group of kids that were watching in the first Hatchet film, none of them really seem like they're in a good place to really oppose Victor Crowley. Um, and not only that, but he kills Freddy Krueger at the beginning of the movie too. So uh, yeah, clearly this is not the guy that we really, really want to fuck with here at the least bit. Uh, I say that because Robert England is in the film. Uh, he plays our uh, one of our lead protagonists, Mary Beth Dunstan's. He plays Mary Beth Dunstan's father, Samson. We also, also get Tony Todd in the film as Reverend Zombie, who does not have a big role in this film, but, 
but as we will get to Hatchet 2, you'll see that Tony Todd does return back for at least one sequel in this four-part series. Now, if you came here for blood, if you came here for gore, if you want some brutal deaths, this is the movie for you. And that's also so much of the fun of this film as well, too, is that Adam Green really leans into what made a lot of these old slasher flicks super fun, which is crazy, absurd, over-the-top deaths, amount, just endless amounts of blood, spurts everywhere, which to the point, it got it fucking hilarious by the time the film was over, because like with each subsequent death, there was just more and more blood just being tossed. Um, I talked about this years back on a show called Now Playing Now that I did with my good buddy, Mr. William R. Washington of Grapsity and Fightful fame, and I had mentioned this movie Daybreakers, as stars Willem Dafoe and Ethan Hawke, about vampires and vampires are the norm and they're herding humans like cattle and shit like that and there's this part towards the end of the film to where um the character of ethan hawk's brother gets cured of vampirism and so then all these vampires near him start feeding on him but then they get cured because they fed on him and then more feed on them and then they get cured because they fed on them like it's this whole thing where if you get cured and somebody feeds on you they get cured as well too but then it just keeps going and there's this hilarious scene in daybreakers where towards the end that happens and i told i told my wife and i told my friends it's like somebody just got had buckets of blood waiting and someone's just like more blood and they just toss a bucket of blood against the wall just like yeah no no more no or toss all the toss all the buckets and I feel like that's what happened here with Hatchet. Like, basically, like, Kane Hodder's ripping somebody's neck open. And Adam Green's just like, yeah, toss the bucket! Blah! And it's like, it doesn't make any fucking sense in the world, but it's so, so good. And I love that we can get movies like this back because it has a cast, a cast in it that at least is going to make you take it somewhat seriously. The production value is definitely better than, especially at 2006, it's better than most of the stuff we were getting at the time in 2006, so it's a very high-profile release as well, too. And the fact that even, yes, it is cheesy. It is absolutely cheesy, but I believe that's the point of the film, honestly. I think that's very much on purpose to just set it over the top because it's, I don't know if you could say it's particularly scary. And that's not a knock because we've talked about it before and I think we all understand horror doesn't actually have to keep you terrified the entire time. It's just the idea, let's get a good story to it. And I think that's one of the strong things here about Hatchet is that the story is simple enough to where you can just sit back and enjoy what the characters are doing. But I think Adam Green also gives you such a, and I mean this respectfully, he gives you such a basic film that you don't have to think about a million things out of the ordinary at that point. And you can just enjoy a kind of mindless horror flick. And that's what's really, really good about Hatchet is that it really is respectfully a very mindful, uh, mindless horror flick that you can just sit back, get a bowl of popcorn and enjoy what you're watching. And not only that, but you got three other sequels after that as well, too. So if you really did enjoy this story, guess what? It's going to get expanded way more across these other films. And I don't know if Adam Green had uh, Hatchet 2, 3, and Victor Crowley, which is Hatchet 4, all planned out originally. I really don't know if he did or not. But you could say, based on the way that the story picks up right after at least Hatchet 2 for sure was planned. But who knows? Who knows for sure if this was if this was his his grand grand plan of putting together this amazing story about one Victor Crowley and the people that just come across him. I also think it's hilarious the fact that a lot of these actors end up in multiple uh, multiple entries of the film. I'm looking at you, Perry Shin. 
who's for sure, at least in the first three hatchets, I gotta still watch Victor Crowley, but who's at least for sure in the first three hatchets, uh, we get some of the same people across all these films. And again, it's so interesting. It reminded me a lot of... Um, the movie Star Hunter, which is a it's a deep, deep get for sure. I bet none of you have seen Star Hunter, this uh, mid to late 90s sci-fi horror film that's basically a Predator knockoff. But what kind of got me about it was the fact that a couple of our protagonists managed to get out of the area that the killer is like focusing on everybody else in. They managed to escape and they go to a police station to try to get help. And it's kind of rare in a horror film to where your characters can completely get out of the situation they're in and they actually have a choice just to be done. Like, you're actually gone right now. You don't have to go back. Now, of course, because everybody's a good person in horror films, they go back to help their friends, try to stop the bad guy, and hatchet across the series. I know I'm kind of going away from part one, but it does that a lot to where our main character, Mary Beth Dunstan, uh, and I, I kind of spoilers, but she does end up becoming our main character over the course of this series. Um, we're led to believe in the first film that Joel Moore's Ben might be the lead character because that's what we start our narrative on. But by the end of the film, and then of course over the at least the second and third film, we see no, it's not about it's not about Ben. It's absolutely about Mary Beth, and Mary Beth is taken out of the situation a number of times. She escapes from this whole situation a number of times and keeps getting brought back to it. And it's like one of those things where you can't help but just feel terrible for a character like that because it's like you escaped. It's like the descent part two. You actually got out and somehow you're being forced back into this bullshit again. I love it. I, it's, it's a great narrative and it's refreshing to see that, that a character can get away and there are somewhat logical reasons for them to come back and risk their lives again here. Um, that said, again, it's a fun, easy slasher, slasher flicking series to get into. If you're looking for some fun, bloody, gruesome, visceral kills, this is definitely what you want to see. If you want to see Kane Hodder basically being Jason, but a much more brutal and mean Jason, this is what you want to see. And if you want to see basically the expendables of horror across this entire series, this is absolutely what you need to see as well, too. So check hatchet out for sure folks um like i said i was watching all of these recently and it's interesting because i had seen one and two and i realized i had actually seen three as well too and the only one i haven't seen as a, uh, as of yet right now is victor crowley but we're gonna get there we're gonna get there i'm gonna catch that we're gonna get the review up for it um hatchet is free to watch right now if you have plex if you have voodoo if you have tubi if you have hoopla it's free on any of those streaming services for you to check out with ads you definitely don't want to miss it though y'all it is a great watch check out hatchet and don't be uh, don't ah, god i'm losing it don't forget to come back and check out my other reviews featuring hatchet 2 hatchet 3 and Victor Crowley. Those are coming up soon for y'all too on T Watches a Scary Movie. After taking a look at the original Hatchet film and deciding that we're going to just work our way throughout this entire series, it's time to move on to the first sequel in the ongoing legacy and saga of one Victor Crowley. And we're going to look at Hatchet 2. Now, you may have remembered at the end of the original Hatchet film, we are left with Mary Beth on a boat with Joel David Moore's Ben, who had just recently had his arm ripped off to trick Mary Beth into getting back onto the boat. And we are left with a screaming Mary Beth 
in front of Victor Crowley. Finally, face to face at this point, what was going to happen? And that's how the movie just ends. The movie just ends that like that there is no immediate follow-up there is no post-credit scene because remember this is absolutely still a few years before the post-credit thing really got big like this was only 2010 and marvel had only just started making it a thing and even at the time there weren't exactly huge scenes now but the original hatchet which is done in 2006 or seven i think it was 07 actually uh like it, it, like there was obviously a, a few years difference between one and two so the idea to pick up immediately from where the first one picks uh leaves off that is a great choice because it pretty much tells you that you got to jump right back into things like if you didn't just see the first hatchet film you probably want to check it out again and that's refreshing because there weren't that many horror series both modern and our old school series that really did that. Most of the time when you got into a sequel, that sequel would take place, you know, days, weeks, months, even years later. And that was normal for us. Like we were perfectly fine. Like when you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, like the first three films, those three films don't happen anytime with like within like days, weeks, months of each other. Like it's years between Nightmare One and Nightmare Three. If you watch Friday the 13th, yeah, there's some follow-up there. And I think it's a year between Friday, uh, the original Friday the 13th and part two. But in, in like in reality, most horror series don't pick up right from where you leave off at. Usually you don't leave it with like a cliffhanger that big. Like your cliffhanger could be your villain's alive cliffhanger could be that i don't know let's linger on the shot of the dead body here and see what happens but usually you don't end it in the middle of an attack of the killer is attacking the victim basically and what the hell is going to happen especially when there's no end credit scene and it reminded me a lot uh just re-watching it and again i'm talking way more about hatchet one but it reminded me a lot of the nightmare on elm street remake because that's how the, how that movie kind of ends spoilers for those who don't know um kind of like the original movie you know, Nancy has, th has thought that she's defeated Freddy Krueger, everything's good to go, there's no problems. Then suddenly, surprise, the gloved hand comes out of the mirror and kills her mom, pulls her back into it, and that's the end of our movie. And Hatchet seemed to have an ending very similar to that. And of course, this came out before the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but Hatchet's, Hatch Hatchet's ending was set up in a way to where we just had to get a sequel to pick up where we were going with Mary Beth. And Adam Green definitely makes the right choice, who's back again in directing and writing uh, capacity here. We pick up immediately with Mary Beth still attacking with Victor, uh, being attacked by Victor Crowley. Mary Beth is now being played by uh, Scream Queen Danielle Harris, who you might remember from the Halloween franchise, amongst a lot of other films, but she is both in the original franchise as well as in Rob Zombie's remake and sequel as well, too. But Danielle Harris has taken over the role of Mary Beth. And what's interesting, and it's only interesting because like we're, we scale back around to it by the end of the movie, is that even though Mary Beth is our lead, and I said this in my review of the original Hatchet, that you know they give us an idea that maybe we're following Joel David Moore's character, Ben, but actually our hero, our heroine, our protagonist is Mary Beth. And Hatchet 2 makes that very firmly. There is no more fake outs there. Mary Beth is uh, firmly who we're following in this film. And they very much take the focus away from Ben, who we assume is dead, but we find out towards the end of the movie, Ben, unfortunately, has not died yet. And I say unfortunately because what happens in this movie doesn't really pan out that well uh, for him considering what happened at the end of the original film. But anyway, 
story of this film is simple. Mary Beth gets back to civilization, you know, and I keep bringing shit up in the original review, but I mentioned one of the cool things about the Hatchet series is the fact that Mary Beth actually gets herself out of danger more than once and is completely away from it all and can just be done with it, but keeps getting drawn back in. And at least in, uh, at least in this film, the whole idea behind it is that Mary Beth um, returns to Louisiana again and she finds out a little bit more information about Victor Crowley and her relationship to the Crowleys and how her father, who was played by Robert England in the first film, where that connection is there as well, too. And she comes in, in contact again with Reverend Zombie, played by Tony Todd, who again was in the original film, too, who is back now in a more expanded role. Because the idea here is that uh, the boat that was taken out for the boat tour in the first film you know, if there's a bunch of murders and people find that boat out there, that's going to cause Reverend Zombie a lot of problems. So he agrees to help Mary Beth and hopefully put a stop to Victor Crowley as a way of uh, quietly removing his boat from Crowley's swamp. And therefore, the authorities can't investigate and put anything onto him. And it's kind of ingenious because basically Reverend Zombie gathers together a group of bounty hunters, regular hunters, the hardest people in the area to hunt down and uh, hunt down Victor Crowley, but more so to protect him and Mary Beth as they're looking around for this boat and trying to get all the evidence out of Dodge. Now, of course, Mary Beth is not aware of Reverend Zombie's true intentions, but he does give us the biggest exposition of the series, which is he explains what brought about Victor Crowley and the reason why all this is, this is happening, which we find out that Victor Crowley's father, Thomas, who was played by Kane Hodder, who also plays Victor Crowley himself, was having an affair with his wife's nurse, and right around the moment that his wife died, uh, he was finally looking to celebrate with his new lover, again, his wife's nurse, but his wife wasn't dead yet, and she enacts a curse upon, Vic, uh, upon Thomas Crowley's lover to basically screw them for the rest of their lives. And Victor Crowley is born, killing uh, Thomas Crowley's lover at the time. But unfortunately, the downside here is that because Thomas Crowley accidentally murdered his own son, that this voodoo curse brought Victor Crowley back up. And as he searches endlessly for his daddy in the swamp, uh, we find out anybody that comes across his swamp is going to become another unfortunate victim of the Crowley family. Now, there's all these legends about what could truly stop Victor, but we don't know that yet. We're not going to learn about that here in this film. So, what happens is that Mary Beth wants to go back to retrieve the remains of her father and her brother as those bodies we found in the original Hatchet film. And of course, they were left there because how are you going to take bodies out of the swamp when there is a monstrous mutant trying to hunt you down and rip you limb from limb? So that's obviously Mary Beth's, uh, her, her reasoning for coming back into the swamp. But she also brings along her uncle with him, with her as well, as uh, Reverend Zombie tells her, for whatever reason, there has to be a relative here. Now, 
as they head off into the swamp and they begin to encounter Victor Crowley, we're given a number of more over-the-top, bloody, gory, brutal, visceral, just disgusting murders by Victor Crowley over the course of this film. And Adam Green really plays it up in this one. I had mentioned in the first film, there were some absolutely creative kills. And it's very obvious that Adam Green was trying to make a love letter to the slashers of old. And sometimes those slashers just had some absolutely ridiculous kills in them. So it's nice to see that he amped that up by 10 here for the sequel. There's way more blood. There are way more body parts and limbs and intestines and guts and skulls and brains and everything that you can think of in this series. This is absolutely the series you want to watch if you're trying to get the feel of your classic slashers that you still know and love, but you really, really do want the over-the-top gore that we've been treated to since the new millennium has started. Uh, because that's really what 2000s horror brought us was it was the uptick in gore and i know we had plenty of gore back before the year 2000 and plenty of horror films but i do feel that the makeup artists that role has risen greatly over the last 22 years or so and films and series like hatchet really do benefit from that because you have somebody out there who's just looking to make a bloody bloody mess and it's so fantastic and it's kind of weird because this series keeps its quality throughout the entire run of it. Whether you're watching Hatchet 1 or you're watching Victor Crowley, the fourth film in the series, they're all about the same quality. And that was incredibly refreshing to me because even for a direct-to-video uh, horror series that's a high-profile horror series at that as well, too, you would expect that there would be some quality loss. But what we're showing here, what we've seen very much in horror franchises that end up being direct-to-video as well, too, is that clearly there's more of these being made because there's an audience for them, there's a love for what's being shown in these films. And the Hatchet series is no, uh, it, it's, it's no exception from that rule either. Now, I mentioned that the whole idea here of the Hatchet series that Adam Green just keeps bringing back all these like horror legends uh, to be a part of the film, a part of this franchise, and um, and I really just put all these things out there that are the, uh, all these like actors and directors and writers out there who are just fantastic. It's great to see them on screen again. And in the first film, obviously, we got Kane Hodder, we got Robert uh, England in there as well too, but in this film. We're getting Tony Todd in a more expanded role, because yeah, he was in the first film, but now he actually has a lead role in this. But not only that, we also are getting Tom Holland. Now, I know what you're thinking. Spider-Man was in this film? Because that's around the time that Tom Holland started doing uh, roles in Hollywood. Obviously, well before Spider-Man came around, but like Billy Elliot and shit like that. And uh, no, this is not British Spider-Man Tom Holland. But if you're a horror fan, that name should have actually more significance to you. Because the Tom Holland we are talking about, or that I'm discussing here, this is a screenwriter, actor obviously from this, and director who is known for his work in the horror genre that includes Child's Play, the original Chucky film. It also includes Fright Night, and a number of Stephen King adaptations, including Thinner, and uh, I think The Langoliers as well, too. Um, 
this guy has had so much to do with the horror genre that that's a get right there. That's a real big get to see this guy show up, not in a creative aspect, but in an acting aspect as Uncle Bob. And I thought that was cool as hell. And it's also very cool again to have Daniel Harris as our lead, taking over as Mary Beth Dunstan, again, from the Halloween series. So she now gets her own franchise to where she can still be absolutely amazing in. And considering that, she did just as many entries for this as she did for Halloween because of Halloween, it was four and it was five. And then you could say like Rob Zombie's films, the original Halloween, Halloween two. And in this, you know, we know that uh, we know that Daniel Harris, she does Hatchet two, she does Hatchet three. And to spoil it just a little bit before my review of that comes out, she does have a cameo in Victor Crowley, which will kind of explain obviously what happens to her character. But she is just as well known, in my opinion, with this franchise as it is with Halloween. And you're talking to the hugest Halloween 4 fan out here. I fucking love Halloween 4. And I think Jamie Lloyd is such an amazing character. But it's cool to see Danielle Harris actually get to do a horror franchise where uh, she can be kind of herself. Not to say that her work as Jamie in the Halloween series wasn't her being herself. But I think the way that especially Mary Beth is portrayed in Hatchet 2 and in Hatchet 3 is more akin to something she feels comfortable with, which is super awesome. Now, preference between the two, I actually think I would enjoy Hatchet 2 a little bit more just because at this point we are getting the backstory of Victor Crowley. And uh, like, granted, I get it. Love letters to old slashers. We didn't really need an exposition of story back then. So I would have been finding the original film not getting that expo uh, uh, exposition as well too. But there's something fun about getting that. There's something even more fun about the fact that we know that Tony Todd's gonna end up being this bad guy and this just nefarious asshole. And it's like, okay, at some point he's gonna have to fight like Victor Crowley. He's gonna have to fight this guy. So we get to see the candy man take on Jason. Another just dream fight. They're gonna get, and it's gonna go exactly how you think it's gonna go because obviously, if it was the actual Candyman fighting Victor Crowley or fighting Jason Voorhees, that might be a different story. But instead, this is Reverend Zombie, just some schmuck who is trying to fight this behemoth of a serial killer. And uh, you can imagine just how uh, how uh, how bone shockingly good that goes for him. Uh, but it's a good film. It's a really, really good film. And the thing is that if you did like the original Hatchet, this is just going to be more of that with a little bit more story added on top of it. If you didn't like the original Hatchet, I don't know if this is going to be what turns you over. But what can I, what I will say, though, is that uh, 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 Daniel Harris as Mary Beth Dunstan makes a much more intriguing uh, protagonist in the film. It's a little bit easier to follow. Not that there was anything wrong with Joel David Moore's Ben. Ben was absolutely fine. But you kind of felt that Ben was just kind of counting the seconds down until he was going to bite it in the original film. Whereas with Mary Beth, now that we know she's firmly the main character, we have hope that she's going to make it through another one of these films. So I think there's more to get behind with Hatchet 2 than there was with the original film, personally, if you're asking me. But that's not the end of things, because remember, there's still Hatchet 3, and we still have Victor Crowley as well, too. And Victor Crowley did it so well that Adam Green said that for sure there's got to be a fifth film coming up. So hopefully, now that we're getting to the tail end of, of what the big, big destruction that our pandemic did, maybe we'll get some updates on Hatchet 5 sometime in the near future. But either way, though, the great thing is that Hatchet 2 is available right now for free to watch on Plex as well as on Vudu. So 
If you're looking for a way to check that out, you can check it out. You don't need an account, you don't need to pay, and it's free with ads right now on Voodoo. You're gonna wanna go and check that out so you can stay up on the Victor Crowley series. And pay attention because we're gonna get you that review of Hatchet 3 really, really soon, folks. Check it out. Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30pm Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8pm Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like and share. My name is T, we've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.